GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You are listening to our weekly blockchain gaming roll-up, um, and we are recording this on the 15th of July, which I now remember is actually the wedding anniversary of my parents, so I'm going to text them today. Um, we got Phil Collins, we got Devin Becker, and we got myself, Nico, and today we're talking about um, Develop, the FogDAO meetup that we did there. We're talking about pre-game NFT launches. We're talking about some on-chain gaming releases, Steppen, Terrain Polygon, and then uh, PlayStation Rewards, which is definitely not crypto. Um, yeah, that's it. So let's uh, get rolling. So I am, I've, if you're watching this on YouTube, I have another different background. I've been traveling a lot lately. And so this week was developed in Brighton. It's a um, games conference, mostly aimed at the, the UK gaming scene. Um, and I was there and it was a reminder that like how tiny the whole <laughs> crypto and web three space is still within games. Um, everyone knows what it is, but I think of all the panels there, I think out of a hundred, maybe there were maybe four or five. And so, you know, it's, it's good to remember that we're like still in the, in the big bubble and there's definitely some interest. So uh, Maria, who's also in Fogdown. Um, she's also co-host of me on, on the Metacast um, and I we were on a panel about what blockchain brings to games and there was a, a very famous indie developer there that is very open about his um, his hate or is, is very critical about blockchain for games and so it was actually like it was quite well attended the panel um, and I was like oh people are interested in this but then I remembered maybe people were just here because they were hoping that, you know, we would get absolutely shit on by this dude who's, who's well known. He's, he's also like, he's a, he's a smart guy. Um, and, but it was actually a very interesting panel. If, if I can, I hope it was recorded and it goes, but like it gets publicized and then I can, I can share it. Um, but the conclusion was basically by the end that capitalism is bad and we need regulation. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, because he's also against uh, free to play and these, you know, um, the, the the more modern monetization ways that can that can allow people to spend their whole life savings on games when they get really addicted. So I think that's that's one of the conclusions there. Anyway, um, and we also had a meetup with Fogdow, uh, which was great. Got to see some some new friends as well, friends that I already knew, and it was uh, it was really fun. So um, I'm going to keep doing those. Um, and if you want to organize your own, let us know. Like, I'm not everywhere, but um, we're gonna have we're gonna have we'll make it happen. chapters, right? Exactly, exactly. Future of gaming, uh, yeah, happens everywhere. Cool. All right. Um, so I'm very tired. As you can, if you're on YouTube, you can see this in my eyes. Devin has COVID, so he's struggling as well. Phil, how are you feeling, Phil? I'm good. I'm coming off a 30-hour drive, so we're all we're all thriving. <laughs> we're right all now. absolutely struggling. That's good. That's no no worries. I mean, you know, the games industry keeps moving forward, um, and we're here to report on uh, on that. Um, all right. Man. Exactly. <laughs> the future is now, old man. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about pregame NFT. So this was a conversation I, I think is fascinating we were having in the discords. Um, I would love to have participated, but man, it's, it's too much to follow up on. So Devin, you, could you like give us a short you know, background on, on that conversation and then we can, uh, yeah, we can talk about it? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of people that are, that are always, you know, really into this idea of like pre-selling tokens or NFTs or whatever before the game, this sort of Kickstarter mentality that we have, whether it be for fundraising or building hype or whatever. Um, 
I think is is one of those things that like people always think is is really cool because at first it seems to work, um, but then in the end rarely does. And even Kickstarter has has a lot of problems, right? Like Kickstarter is not a perfect thing either. Um, but personally, my take was basically that uh, in general it's not good. Um, attracts the wrong audience. Whether you want to say it's like good financially or not, it attracts people that are there for mostly the wrong reasons. Whereas if you sell um, afterwards, uh, after the game's out, it's mostly going to be the players. That being said, um, part of the you know my concession was that depending on what you're promising for those NFTs or uh, tokens, uh, if it's not financial rewards in any way, shape, or form, maybe not such a bad thing. If it's just early access and stuff like that, I'm even down to buy sometimes those for for early access. So. That kind of thing, I think I'm totally fine with. I was, um, sorry to interrupt you, Phil. Um, I was talking to a founder who's building a game that is um, essentially like um, a map. And you can, you know, you can, you start it, everyone starts in the middle. And then you, you spread out across the map and it, it just keeps going, keeps growing. Um, and you're actually able to claim ownership of species of land on that map if you're first. And so, um, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we're, we're not giving, you know, extra benefits to the players that buy our NFTs, but they just have, like, they can get, get a little bit of a head start. And so, you know, because there's actually a land grab going on, that actually means they're not giving extra, like, financial rewards, but because there's, like, they can start get started earlier and they can do that land grab before others, it's essentially they, they're getting huge benefits. Um, and benefits, especially land benefits, which, you know, which means that, you know, if you own a piece of land, someone else can't. And so these are also things that people need to take, take into account um, because that can make it very unbalanced very fast. Yeah, I think the, the pre-launch token sales are a really interesting part of the, the fundraising process. Um, rather than a traditional VC round, it almost became, we're going to go out to the community, we're going to raise some money. We're going to use that as a proof of concept to go out to VC and raise a slightly larger institutional round. And that's like our traction. So no, we haven't started building the game yet, but we do have traction. And now we're going to go raise our institutional round, get these venture names on our cap tape on our kind of quote unquote cap table, and then build the game. Once we have these two different rounds of funding already secured. Um, I think it's interesting because it, it did enable a lot of projects to get started. And so, I think in, a, in an early stage for blockchain gaming, it, it helped a lot of founders get off the ground and start building something, which I think we all agree is, is a good thing. However, totally agree with Devin on the points around bringing on the wrong audience. I, I think I've always viewed guilds in a similar way where it's trying to like speed run the process of getting players on board or, or people in your ecosystem. Um, and the, the, the downside of that is the fact that these aren't true players that are not there for the right reasons. Um, but, but yeah, I think we'll start to see that fade over time. I think we're going to start to see that fade really fast in the current market where people are, are shying away from token sales in general. Um, but in general, it just became very standardized. And while it helped teams get off the ground, it's kind of weird to give this non-dilutive equity to players that you know, don't even know what your game will be. But you know, they can forever be a part of your, your total supply in a pretty significant way. Uh, just from that from that early sale. It's mm -hmm. funny too, because like there's the the idea that you're doing it because you want to get the true believers on board and reward them, right? But oftentimes the people that believe the most in it are the ones that are there for the financial incentive. Like they believe in it enough to invest in it, uh, and that's like technically that's the right audience, right? Because the, they're the true believers. But 
it's not the right audience to play your game. And I think there's there is a lot of that mismatch in the space in general, right? Like where when you know financial financial stuff's involved, uh, it's very easy to end up with the wrong people like involved in your game. And we always talk about like you know there's different demographics now because you've got like the collector or like the investor as like different sort of uh, I don't want to say player archetypes because they may not be actually playing the game, but like people involved in in the games and. Like, to an extent, like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, you can have people involved that are not necessarily playing the game, but it's just when they're the majority or they're impactful on the, the whole game itself, that's when it's problematic. And I think part of the problem, too, is, isn't just that, you know, you're promising financial returns and you attract the wrong audience. It's that they can't usually deliver on those returns either. Um, either Whether it's just due to, like, bad economy design, uh, misunderstanding what didn't work with Axie, or just, like, general lack of uh of game development knowledge and i think that's part of the problem too as you said phil you know like you know maybe they'll that'll we'll move away from that and i think part of that is like right now we just had a ton of amateurs in the space making games that maybe can't deliver and we, we see this problem in kickstarter too where like people promise the world they do all these stretch goals all this fundraising and then they can't actually deliver on it and you know we run into that all the time funny thing too we also run into the other thing you're talking about where people don't even necessarily need the money from kickstarter they just use it to prove there's an audience there um, so it, it's very similar in a lot of ways, but the difference is when you buy something off Kickstarter, you generally don't expect it to appreciate in value. And I think that expectation is what's setting the wrong tone, right? Like, I think if we move to the Kickstarter of like, Hey, maybe the game won't get finished, but if it does, you'll get early access and you'll get like maybe slightly cheaper or like a bonus thing on top of it, or like a special edition that's not necessarily worth more, but is collectible. That kind of mentality is fine. It's just it does it does suck to see you know retail players get burned, but that's going to happen with Kickstarter too. Mm -hmm. I, I have an idea to solve the problem. So I have an idea for game developers to be able to like kickstart without getting speculators. Um, and so there's two things. One, they need to design it so that, and also storytell it so that the whatever they sell will not have an unfair utility within their future game or a promise for financial return in their future game or like a ridiculous financial return in their future game so that's one and then two and this is the the, the new part um you know we are in my opinion and this is something I'm, I'm, I'm i've been thinking about for a while now we are using nfts in a skeuomorphic way and so skeuomorphism is you're using new technology to do old things. And so for me, NFTs are actually, we are using NFTs to replicate physical, real, like real world physical ownership. So for example, I have my phone. If I have my phone, I can do with my phone whatever I want. I can throw it away. I can give it away. I can you know, sell it or try and sell it for a hundred million bucks. I can give it, like I can sell it for one cent. Um, I can sit on it. I can break it. I can do anything I want with it. And so we're doing the same thing with NFTs. But the cool thing about NFTs is that they're actually programmable, right? We now have a way to program value on the internet. And so an idea, for example, and this is like an idea, but I think, you know, this concept of programming NFTs will, will should become, you know, commonplace is what if you said, okay, we're going to sell these early access or, or like our, you know, NFTs for, to use within the game with no, you know, extra utility or unfair utility, et cetera. We're going to sell them. So let's say 0.1 ETH. And you can only sell them for 0.1 ETH. So that's like the fixed price. You could code that into the NFT and, you know, it will work on OpenSea, but you can make it work on, own, on your own marketplace. Um, 
that's like one solution because that way speculators like there's no reason to get it because you won't be able to sell it for a higher price. What do you think of that? Um, that's I think it's been tried a little bit and it tends to cause problems with the community, partially because of the expectations you said. But mm -hmm. the other problem with that skewmorphism uh, analogy is that uh, it's not accurate either because you're not actually the the phone example. You don't get the phone; you're getting the receipt for the phone. That's what your NFT is. Your your NFT mm -hmm. is just proof of purchase. It's not really the thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can't do whatever you want with it, right? Because you can't modify the code for the NFT. You can't change mm -hmm. anything about the way the NFT performs. That price example you just gave, you couldn't do that as an as a owner of the NFT. Whereas if I actually own something physically in real life, like the, the phone, I could say I refuse to take anything less than this ETH for it. And that's part of the problem. Is, yeah, is that, that's my point, by the way. What's that? That, that's my point, by the way. So in normal yeah. NFTs, you can ask anything you want for it. And I'm just saying, like, if we if you right. if we start coding or programming NFTs, then yeah. it becomes less like a phone and more like you know digital ownership. Which, in my opinion, we just need to rethink. But right, and, and I think I think we need to find a way to make it so that NFTs actually are less than just a proof of purchase. That they are more of their own thing. Maybe we need mm -hmm. some different way of the standards and stuff. But it, so, some of it comes down to people misunderstanding how an NFT even works. It's like an NFT is technically in someone else's smart contract. Maybe they've relinquished the keys, so it, it seems decentralized. It's no longer, quote-unquote, under their control. But it is, it is a contract that is just storing some data that you don't actually control, right? You, you can interact with it as an interface or an API if you want to consider it that. But uh, you know what's coded to be able to be doable with that? is coded already and that's supposed to be the perk right is like the idea of like what you're saying where uh it's hard coded so no one can change that and that's like that's a feature but that's also not what people expect people expect that when they buy something digitally they get it right and, mm -hmm. and as we know from the long line of licensing music or licensing movies that we have nowadays uh we generally don't actually own anything digital the point of like uh the blockchain stuff was to make it so stuff couldn't could be controlled in terms of duplication which was a cool feature uh, and I'm surprised DRM isn't all over it because it seems like a really great use for DRM. Uh, but we, we don't physically own the thing. And I think maybe we need to come up with some way of uh, distributed ownership that takes that idea to the next level so that maybe there can be code uh, as part of the NFT instead of a code that's more of an NFT factory. Makes sense. It's It seems like, um, you know, there's often when you mint, especially from large companies, there's like these, you know, agreements, terms and conditions, right? Um, that can differ wildly. And, and then, you know, all of the anti-NFT crowd has a blast going through. It's like, oh, you know, you don't have the right to this, you know? Um, and so maybe maybe there is, um, on the on one hand, there needs to be standardization on the, like the actual smart contract code level of the NFT itself and on the, on the standard, but maybe also on, you know, terms and conditions wise, where it's actually pretty simple, where, you know, we know that, okay, if you own this NFT, you have the rights to this, 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 and that. Um, feels like we're still far away, but uh, feels also like we will need something like that moving forward. There's so much room for new standards and new features and things like that too, because like NFTs were just, you know, a standard that was like invented on the fly. And, you, you know, most of the internet's like that. All, all this stuff, the, the, the fact that we're talking right now is just stuff built on top of stuff, built on top of stuff as people just solved problems and, and generally didn't ask a whole lot of permission. And, you know, blockchain is going to be, you know, hey, we, we say it's permissionless, right? So, let's, you know, just start building crazy new stuff like that, too. Like, all of it's just building on top of the smart contract stuff and just coming up with clever ways to use it. Mm -hmm. Phil, what are your thoughts? It's interesting because I, I feel like going back to the, 
to the NFT sales or early token sales being part of the fundraising process, I think people are just trying to still figure out what it means to, to raise capital from the community. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of problems for these games that are going to take years to develop with amb with crazy ambitions. You know, the word the the word the word or letters AAA gets thrown around a lot today, and those AAA games are usually operating on you know two to ten million dollar budgets, which is kind of counterintuitive to AAA. Um, but I just don't think that that current model is necessarily sustainable, and I think we're going to see a lot of adaptations to how people raise capital early on in these games. Um, I think we're already starting to see it on the token side. If your game's gonna take four years to build, going back to the community over and over, going back to institutional investors over and over, eventually means that probably more than 50% of your token supply is gonna be firmly in the hands of investors. And you end up kind of like <laughs> digging your own grave just by continuously throwing out assets or messing with the, the balance of your economy for the sake of funding your build. And it's like so, Star Citizen. Yeah, and, and so I, I think we've already started to see an evolution in how how founders are funding their projects. Um, and I don't know what exactly what that right balance is quite yet. I think there's a lot of interesting proposals that we'll, that we'll see like yours, Nico. Um, but I think the the legacy model of pre-token pre sales or pre-NFT sales before anything's been built is just naturally going to fade away um, as as I think speculation takes a little bit of a backseat in blockchain gaming more broadly. Hopefully. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's uh, move on to the next topic. I think this is a fascinating topic and the conversation will be, uh, will be continuing to have. So next up. Um, all right. Yeah. Realms Master Scrolls. Um, by the way, I want to shout out to, is it Constantinos? He does like a, a roundup or an update on everything that's happening and um, super useful. And he, one of the things he mentioned is, uh, so Realms. So Realms is a project, it's a fully on-chain game that originally started within the loot ecosystem. So if you remember, and you should remember, and if you don't, you should look it up. Um, last August, there was um, a drop of loot. And loot was like the idea, okay, the community gets NFTs and they're like very primitive, like very base primitives of games. It's like an item list, like an equipment list. And then, you know, the community can build shit on top of it, like games on top of it, experiences on top of it. And, you know, if you would ask the average people who actually knew that loot was launched now, they all think that it failed and that nothing's happening. There's actually quite a bit happening. And so one of the side projects that launched a few weeks after loot was called Realms. And so loot is an equipment list. And so realms is like uh, a, a location. And so you could use your loot to mint the realms. And the realms is, like, realms is like a map and it has like resources and cities and like rivers and stuff. Um, and each realm is unique, has, has its own name. And so they're, um, they're building an chain game where it's like you build out your own you know, empire um, and you gather resources passively. Then you know you you can either decide to use those resources to get build like an army and attack people to steal their resources, or you can use your resources build an army and you know build a defensive uh, army so people can't come and steal yours. That, that's a bit like the, the idea. Um, it's going it's all going to be happening on chain. Um, they're building on Starknet, which is um, still a very early stage. 
internal in terms of development i think like still an alpha or something and so you know i i know the the rooms team pretty well and they've been struggling but i mean my hats off to them man i it's hard to build a game and they're doing it on like on a, a software like a code basis or like on tools that are not even done yet and so you know i think if stark and nets would have been ready they might have been done already but it's not ready so they're like you know they're changing things so it's uh it hasn't been easy uh, but so they're they've released their new master scrolls which is like an updated white paper um and so you know i haven't read it because i've been on the road but um i will and this is something really if, if you're interested in like you know the future of gaming which i think will be partially on chain uh this is definitely worth checking out sounds pretty cool i mean uh obviously the uh having to build out on unproven technology once it actually comes out um, might be interesting. Yeah. To say at least. But, I mean, like we have like uh, ZK snark kind of stuff out there, right? You've got like immutable doing its thing and whatnot. So it's not like totally yeah. unproven ideas or anything, but it does sound like uh, they're having a rough time of it. It's almost like if they were trying to build on Ronin or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, I feel like everyone today is trying to build on what they view as the future best infrastructure as well. Not only what's best today, but who's going to continue to adapt and improve and, and ultimately kind of be the winner from the product side. And that's where it gets tricky just beyond the, the land grab of funding that's coming from a lot of these infrastructure layers I, as a team. I, I'm, I haven't dove too deep into, into StarkNet. I've heard about it from a few different teams, but I've heard a lot of bullish people on the future of it. And that almost seems like trying to, trying to predict the best product two years down the road versus today. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that foresight will be very impactful for these teams where even though it's a pain up front, eventually you, you are, you're happy with that decision as you, as you scale. I think yeah, um, a lot of people for, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the reasons why people are bullish is because StarkNet currently has two broad solutions. One of them, one of them is called StarkX and StarkX is their like a private role of technology or their bespoke roll-up technology, which is being used by Sorare, by Immutable, uh, and by a few others. And so, you know, it, it already works, I guess, right? You can gas, you have gas-free minting on the Immutable X, um, etc. And so, I, I, so wait, StarkNet is going to be their public roll-up blockchain, basically, where you can build anything you want. You can, you want to build Immutable X on StarkNet, um, you can do that. And so, um, I, I guess why people are extra excited is one, the founders of the Starkware, which is a company behind these solutions, are actually the inventors of this zero knowledge or, or some of these zero knowledge proof technologies. Um, and um, and two is uh, it's it's already working in in a very niche or very uh, you know small scoped way. So um, you know I'm, I'm I consider myself one of these people who are bullish, but uh, um, yeah, it still it still takes time. Yeah, I'm very bullish on the technology as well. It just, uh, to, to Phil's point, it reminds me of uh, how many people, in fact, this is how Immutable was born, um, as well as Ronin, uh, jokes on that aside. Uh, these All these games that built on Ethereum and then realized it wasn't going to scale had to then pivot to the future instead of building on the future, right? So this idea of like, I think a lot of people were burned by that and that's why they're looking at like, okay, well, let's build on what's going to work down the road because we don't want to have to spend like the middle of our game trying to port over to a new chain or, or build our new chain from scratch, which is, you know, how a lot of these layer twos got built because of people just running into problems with the layer one. But like mm -hmm. all of this technology is very, very built in flight kind of thing. Everyone's kind of figuring out as we go. And 
I, I imagine at some point there will be something that's like the next great thing after ZK rollups. But right now it seems like that's where a lot of people are putting um, their, their efforts. Like Polygon is building like five different ZK rollup chains at the same time. Like they very mm-hmm. much believe in it. Like just the layer two people in general very, very much believe in it. And uh, Ethereum as a whole very much believes in rollups, right? So this idea of, of rollups and things like that. And it goes back to like, you know, a lot of uh, early stuff, even with Bitcoin, Lightning Network stuff, Plasma, all this stuff was these ideas of these rollups and, and ways of combining transactions. Because I think we realize we can't just have every single transaction always be validated. So then it's like this idea of prioritizing. So we figure out, okay, here's how we can prioritize what needs to be validated. And I think at some point too, we'll figure out one, one level above that. Um, whether it be, I, I've seen the idea of layer threes being like interoperability instead of some other thing. So maybe maybe it won't be a layer three technology necessarily, but I, I think, you know, ZK rollups are not the end of it, but I definitely think they're really cool. And, and I look forward to seeing more uh, stuff on there. The only thing I worry about is, is the less stuff is happening on chain, maybe we start to lose some of the cool features of the blockchain, some of the, the composability or the transparency. And, you know, with something like Dark Forest, it makes sense, right? Because they've got the fog of war and stuff like that. But there starts to be a situation where um, if, if game developers are picking and choosing what's on chain and what's not, they may sometimes pick the wrong things um, for what we believe in as, as the blockchain, what, what it's good for, right? Um, and so maybe at some point there need, almost needs to be some uh, you know manifesto-level stuff of like, here's what should be on chain and what shouldn't for games uh, in order to kind of have this basic level of not necessarily rights, but just like, fitting the concept of the blockchain and then at some point you know people are just going to be building games and throwing blockchain in as some side thing and they won't care about that sort of thing um, but i think the people that are more like on the purest maximalist side of things do care about that and and i think maybe we need to set that down in writing at some point as these technologies go up yeah i think one thing that i always think of in blockchain gaming is that as it becomes more mainstream and ubiquitous i think that some of the the purest ideology might start to fade and i don't i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for for broader adoption but i do think you know the traditional gamer is going to start to care less and less about the the pure on-chain logic and obviously there's still a lot of really cool stuff you can do with that but it will be interesting to see how a lot of these developers try to balance being on chain with you know what's the most efficient effective solution and if we have to cut corners around the ideology I think most teams will over time become more and more willing to to sacrifice the the the, the purest ideology. Mm-hmm. This um, so I had a conversation with the CEO of Starkware Uri, and um, he told me like the way he described it was, if I have the Mona Lisa, I'm gonna want to have it on the safest layer, which in in our discussions would be you know ETH layer one. Um, but there's a ton of things I own that I don't necessarily want to have that secure, right? Because that security also comes with, it's like, you know, having a piece of art in a vault, right? It's, it's very safe, but you know, like, it's kind of annoying if you want to show it off to your guests, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, I would say that that's probably where we're going. And, but that, you know, it's an interesting point that I made in that, you know, as a game designer, so, you know, you have to build a good game, which already takes a lot of decisions in, in game design and, and, uh, and other choices. And then you have to like choose your stack. You have gonna, you're going to have to choose your, uh, um, you know, standard. And if these, like I would say, like blockchain technology standard, your assets, what kind of standard will they have? And then, you know, what we talked about earlier, you know, the ownership standards also going to be a new thing. And then you're going to have to decide, okay, where are they going to live? Um, and so it's, it's, it's only getting more difficult 
this, these games, man. Hey, it's great for consultants like me, man. Uh, that's I'm it. I'm all for it. Let's, dude, let's keep it complicated. Dude, you're, you're just like here making things more complex for everyone. Um, yeah. No, yeah. You, trust me. You don't want to read that documentation. It's, it's too too much, too much. Good. All right. Um, I, I feel like this very uh, – like it brings us into a discussion of um, – so I, I also like that you're saying like teams are over-indexing on the future. So they're like, okay, you know, Ethereum, let's build on Ethereum. And now it's like, oh, shit, yeah, Ethereum is clearly not going to scale and there's consensus around that. So what we're going to do is, you know, what's going to – like this – like what we're building is going to take, you know, three years to be mainstream anyway. So what's going to be the best solution in three years almost? Um, and then they're looking at roll-up, Azika roll-up technology. And so, you know, one chain I've been very impressed by is Polygon. And I feel like, you know – the consensus about that has been has been you know going um, or has, has been getting really positive. I know uh, the head of Polygon Studios, Ryan Wyatt, and he's uh, he's my guy is a killer man. It's it's crazy. Like since he joined, the amount of deals that they're doing is like you know it's Meta and then all oh, yeah. types of huge huge companies. Um, and you know I like that they're also thinking about the future. So it it feels like a, a safe place to go to for the moment. What do you guys think? I like the vibe of it, man. I don't know. Just something about it just feels like a natural layer too to me. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, we have seen it have some issues, right? When like uh, when Sunflower Farms mm -hmm. like went pretty pretty ham on it, and uh, it wasn't quite Crypto Kitties level, right? But it was still pretty bad, like congestion wise. Uh, and I do worry a little bit about a lot of these people building on that. Um, I, I do hope that maybe maybe there's there just needs to be like guidelines for. You know, you can't dictate necessarily who builds on your network, right? Like it's it's supposed to be permissionless, but it needs to be mm -hmm. like, hey, here's some guidelines on how you best practices for not blowing this network up and having to reboot your game after a month. Uh, those kind of situations would be great to avoid. And I mean, like, let's say Facebook and or Meta. So I still can't get used to calling them anything but Facebook. But uh, let's say they they go crazy on polygon like is that going to scale because polygon isn't to the zk rollups and all that stuff yet they're still very much like a simpler layer two than what they want to build and they have all these other different types of chains they're trying to do um some some more like private style ones some meant for enterprise some just meant for uh better like zk scaling but i i wonder when those are starting to roll out and if that's going to keep pace or if we're going to end up with an ethereum situation on a layer two and then all those people building on polygon are gonna be like i'm gonna go build my own chain now <laughs> and that that kind of situation ends up repeating um like i love to see it all happen within one ecosystem mostly just because of the on-ramp situation with layer twos i hate having to go between uh, layer one and layer two and then between layer twos and then i'm having to use on-ramps just so i can just buy directly on the layer two those kind of situations do kind of suck bridges are cool and all but they're also like hack fests unfortunately at the moment so I, I would love for us to, to have a solution, say this is the solution, but maybe maybe Polygon's just, a, you know, another bridge. Yeah. No, I mean, to Nico's point, I think Polygon has demonstrated that they're just absolute killers on the partnership front. Not a partnership and just going out and winning this land grab that, that we talk about. And I feel like sometimes land grab almost sounds like a derogatory term. Like you're just kind of going out and buying your customers. Um, but in this world where most of these infrastructure solutions are still figuring themselves out and continuing to adapt and improve. Yeah, yes, they are competing on product quality, but I mean, there's a lot more to that. And I think that the ability to go out and do what Polygon's done from a funding perspective, from a partnership perspective, is almost a self-reinforcing flywheel of enhancing their ability to develop 
a superior product really quickly. Um, and so I think, I think that is something that is really interesting to me about them is yes, they've gotten their lead um, at, at least partially from their ability to go out and land grab. But on top of that, I think that does feed back to product quality and can eventually set them ahead and help them figure out their scaling solutions as well. Um, it yeah, can, but killers. I mean, sometimes monopolies don't lead to like improvements in that. You look at Facebook, you look at Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they've taken their monopoly and, and money and used it to make the product better. Unfortunately, like it depends on who's running it, right? Like uh, obviously these things matter. And it's interesting with the layer twos because you generally do have someone running the network. Whereas like layer ones, like Ethereum and Bitcoin are not run by anyone per se. Like I know everyone thinks like Vitalik runs Ethereum for some reason, but uh, it's there's situations where you have, uh, and it's, I think it's been said before by some people that it's always interesting that layer twos have a marketing team and layer ones don't, right? And so you have a very different set of, kind of incentives and, and ability to land grab that you don't have with layer one. So layer ones have to compete entirely on product and on like ecosystem. And whereas layer twos can compete on taking their big funding that they have and spending it on marketing, spending it on studio acquisition, spending it on like just, I mean, essentially bribery, like for getting games on there. I'm not saying that necessarily in a negative way, but it, but it kind of is partnership bribery, uh, which yeah. works, right? Like that, that at the end of the day, uh, if they're not acquiring these companies, I guess that's fine. And two, one thing that's interesting is considering the funding environment too, where maybe back when venture capital funding was a lot more available for a, a larger pool of founders, the the incremental funding from something like a Polygon, you get, you get half a million dollars from them. It's maybe not moving the needle as much. I do wonder if in the current market, especially with you know the cash reserves that somebody like a polygon has if you know that the strategy of we're going to go fund and get partnerships actually becomes even more impactful over the next 12 24 months as you know, previously you could maybe compete on product quality because people were getting funding from other sources as that funding dries up i do wonder if funding will just continue to, to play an even more important role in how people are choosing their platforms even though it was already really important you know the 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 dynamic with with cash for these founders is changing really fast. I do see some of the bigger companies like Animoca brands trying to diversify a little bit too. Like they seem to go in a lot on Polygon, yet now their their MotoGP ignition is gonna be on Flow, um, for example. So like there, there definitely is a little bit of hedging bets as well, I think coming from some of the bigger companies that have a lot of projects. And that may have also been a partnership thing too. Like we don't know what went, be, went on behind the scenes. Maybe like Dapper Labs was just like, hey, we'll, we'll help make this really cool in this way or that way. And that convinced them and not just it wasn't hedging bets or financial or anything like that because Animoca doesn't need uh, the financial incentives to go over to any of those, right? Like I'm sure they wouldn't mind, but they definitely don't need it. So like there's definitely still like some level of like, let's just try these other things. Like Avalanche definitely brought a lot of people over with subnets co combined with bribery. Um, and, and I'm sure uh, Immutable has a big fund now as well. Immutable will probably be like, hey, you know, we'll help you come over here. Like, because um, it's big games haven't really come out, so it's still pretty much just Gods Unchained. But they have a lot, like they're trying to get like Alluvium and stuff like that, and Guild Guardians and stuff. Um, so, that, you know, there's a lot around here, and like some of these networks are further along than others. Like Flow is an interesting example, because they are still kind of mid-project building, but they have a really cool project, and they just don't really have anything that like proves it out yet outside of sports collectibles, which, to be fair, they're doing absolutely stellar on. So. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, 
interesting discussion and, and curious to see how this plays out. And um, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty sure that at some point we'll see like um, centralization problems with some of these blockchains or like, you know, some of them being too powerful. And I don't know, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of problems we still have to face, it feels like, but uh, I, I, we'll solve it when we get there, you know. It's your guys' job to invest in the one that you think is going to be that, right? The yeah. next Facebook. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, I was going to say talking about the next Facebook, but it's completely unrelated. Um, we have Steppen, who has made a lot of money, and they're showing it off. Who wants to introduce that? Devin, was sure, that you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they, they're kind of touting their profits. I don't think they necessarily were, like, trying to brag, but for a game that's, like, just been – pretending it's not cratering for a while it was pretty funny to see them blog about i mean every one of their blog posts is like almost self-satire because of how i don't know like willfully in denial they are of many things um to the point where it's mind-bending sometimes to read their blogs but uh, this one was interesting that they were just kind of like talking about all these things that they were going to do with their profits and how like they were trying to instill confidence in the community by saying like they were doing all these things that was going to help but they were also talking about how they were going to be making profit in the future as if like that was going to reassure people like oh okay well if they're if they're going to find ways to make profit in the future then like then i'm fine as, as a step-in owner except for it's still the same basic fact at the end of the day that the rewards that you get do not come from step-in and i think that's bears repeating because people seem to really forget that so you know i'm going to repeat the line it, Stepin does not pay you for walking, running, whatever. They, they don't. Other players do. That's it. Like other players are sponsoring you for exercising. Uh, and I think that just that flies over everyone's head. And so mm -hmm. Stepin bragging about profits and talking about like the one way they're talking about their, oh, we're going to contribute back. We're going to do a, a buyback and burn of GMT. How's that going to help my earnings if my earnings are in GST? And that continues to try and burrow down till it reaches China at this point. Like, it's not it's not helping. But um, well, my, my answer would be I think we describe this as you know there's value coming in, value being like value being uh, coming in and value go going out. And so in your case, you're saying okay, if I if if I exercise, I'm actually like if I sell my tokens, I'm extracting value from the ecosystem. And what they're saying is okay, we're going to put value back into the ecosystem. But the way you're saying that they're going to do that is 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 not the correct way, or it only indirectly supports the the earnings, or, or not at all. It just reminds me of uh, of Sky Mavis, the way they kind of like realized SLP was kind of donezo, and just started mm. pivoting everything to talking about AXS as that continues to fall. It's like you're just describing what's still mid fall, like as if that's the next thing, like, and then what's going to be after that? A third token, like that's what it feels like. It's just, it's not really resolving any of the underlying issues and it's just kind of distracting like they just did that recently with this i don't know if you guys saw this but this is the craziest thing the third realm is ape everybody except for if you read closely it has nothing to do with uh with basi or yuga labs or anything they're just putting the word ape in there and just associating themselves forcefully with another project i mean yeah maybe the blockchain's permissionless but it doesn't mean your marketing can be it's just, it, the, I'm sorry, like, I'm sure there's some good people at that company, but the, the level of disingenuousness that comes out of them just blows my mind, like, that people defend them as a company because they uh, clearly either, like, they're just high on their own smoke or what, but it's, it's out of control <laughs> at this point because 
people still defend them. Like I still get in arguments with people like trying to say like, oh, but no, they're going to do this and this is going to fix it. And then this is going to fix it. And it's like maybe maybe too many people are getting used to listening to the U.S. Federal Reserve. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's um, I mean, I've always said I think the whole move to earn is the the concept is interesting and could potentially actually be sustainable. Um, but I guess the way what well, you have to set up well, and maybe they've already shut shut themselves, they already shut themselves in their in the foot. I don't know. Um, yeah, I've been too much uh, up to date. But um, well, I, yeah, it's difficult. I am. Um, Hard to, hard to look into their minds and see what the real plans are. But I, I do feel like, you know, if they approach it very, very, very well, it feels like it's solvable. I would, I would love to see that. And that's something that I think is interesting about the whole play to earn movement more broadly. And I think one of the, one of the fundamental shortcomings we've seen as the model has continued to be iterated is I think at the end of the day, it comes down to like, do, do players need to be financially rewarded or do people need to be financially rewarded for what they're doing? And when a lot of these systems, to Devin's point, are all about players paying each other almost, like continuing to feed the, the, the flywheel, like if you're, if you're doing something that isn't adding value or if you're doing something that doesn't necessarily warrant payment or financial reward, I think that cycle is inevitably going to break, right? It, it, because then it becomes more about the hype. It becomes more about the, the, the upside and the what ifs of earning while doing this, whatever, playing a game, moving, whatever it is. I, th I think that's, that's what play to earns having to deal with now is, you know, is the, is the value that's being provided worth financial reward? And in pretty much every case, I feel like the answer is, has been, probably not at this point, And that's why the cycle eventually breaks because it's more about propping up the, the ecosystem versus genuinely rewarding people for their contributions. And that that's, that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like there's not a lot of, of games that have some opportunity for someone to contribute something of real value. Even yeah. esports isn't really like what most people think it is. It's just a marketing vehicle, like with, with people getting paid to perform as part of that. Uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's also not exactly what people think it is. People aren't being necessarily paid for their skill, per se. Just like in regular sports, they're being paid for their performance and their public performance and what that does for marketing. In this case, it's for a particular game, uh, as opposed to when it's traditional sports, it's for a particular team. And so you buy their jerseys and all that other stuff, right? Like, this is just marketing vehicles. Or like uh, the conversation, uh, Nico, you were having with the other BitCraft guys about it being part of user acquisition, right? Like sort of bribing or acquiring users early on, kind of what you were saying, Phil, where it's just trying to trying to get these people incentivized. Um, and there's so few games where, like, it actually makes sense. And, like, it, the funny part is we do sort of have one uh, economic model or, or game platform where that does sort of happen in, in Roblox, right, where kids are getting actually paid in a way for things they actually do contribute of value. And there's a whole economy around that. And uh, that, you know, that that works for the most part. I mean, yeah, uh, we could discuss whether that's exploitively done as, as I did with you previously, Nico, on, on another, the Metacast one, but it, uh, it, it, it proves at least there's something there, right? And we had this also before with Second Life, right? Where Second Life had its whole economy and like people building businesses on there and stuff like that. So there is ways to do stuff like that. But in order to really do that, you end up just running a business. Kids on Roblox end up like growing to a point where they're running it like a business, like a game studio, 
or whatever. People in Second Life ended up running it like a small business. So these things where play and earn maybe aren't ever truly compatible in the same sense of like what you're actually doing for money unless it's just rote behavior that needs to be done mechanical Turk style. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's something we do need to consider is like, is there any real examples of play and earn anywhere in the world that we can use as a model? If so, then we need to look at how those work economically. And if we can borrow something from that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to what value is being provided and is that value worth financial reward and, like there, there are iterations like you were talking about where like user generated content and creating games and being rewarded based on the play time and based on the revenue that your creations are generating. Like that's adding value. Like there are things within games and, you know, within these, these ecosystems that teams are creating right now that is genuine value, but like is simply engaging with a game through playing worth it. I think that model's continuously breaking, breaking right now. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what, what value does warrant it. And I think there's clear answers right now, like user-generated content, for example. And then I think there's creative things that we haven't even thought of yet that will we'll continue to, to add value from the player perspective. Well, it makes me think of um, like power leveling or speed running people in MMOs or Diablo or stuff like that. That's kind of an interesting one where it's like still sort of play, but it's play as a service. Um, and, and maybe there's some other models within that as well. The only problem with that kind of model is you're kind of subverting the game design because you're, uh, by speed running people, you're also kind of depriving them of the fun of that leveling, which is its own weird sort of discussion. Um, but I think there, there maybe is other stuff out there we just haven't thought of, as you're saying yet. And I think that's what we should be exploring instead of just trying to find the next Ponzi. Mm-hmm. Good. I feel like I, this is actually a discussion I'd love to jump into, um, but it feels like it warrants almost its own episode. Or yeah, um, you know how value is created within within games or the metaverse. So that's that's for another time. I think um, you know I don't know how long we've been going because I've been dropping out the whole time because my RAM's gone. I don't know what's happening. No, anyway, we're getting um, there about another fifteen minutes. Yeah, no, it's 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 um yeah, um yeah I think. Well, at least for me, this was a, a fantastic episode. Thanks, guys. Um, interesting. Uh, Devin, should we do a new game? Did you did we announce this on the podcast already? Or did you just yeah, put it um, in the Discord? I, I didn't put it in the Discord. Last time we did one. Um, but I was just going to suggest people go out and, and try out Blanco's Block Party, especially since that's going to be coming to the Epic Store. I assume it hasn't yet, but I haven't double-checked. But I do think it's an interesting uh, game that's meant to be like its own kind of thing as well. Um, and it's on EOS, I believe, or an EOS fork or something like that, which is a blockchain we don't see a lot of games on uh, these days that are that are popular. I think it's cool, and it's free to play. Um, you you also were able to get, like, some free stuff off Amazon Prime, uh, the Prime gaming stuff or whatever. Um, so it's cool. It's free. Might as well try it out. This one, you don't have to tweet them or whatever, I guess. There were some problems. I apologize for people being a, a little freaked out by Nine Chronicles' sort of system. That's true. Yeah, so what happened, Devin was like, oh, you should try this Nine Chronicles game. Yeah. And they asked access to your Twitter account and they could yeah. like delete tweets and, and, and stuff. You can always just deny that after. It literally is just to get you to the download for the EXE. Personally, I think that's a little shady that they did that. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're actually doing anything with that. So I apologize if that caught people off guard. Good. All right. Um, cool. Well, Devin, Phil, thank you so much for this. Um, this was great. Good, good discussions great insights um and so yeah listener hope you enjoyed it too if you did you know share with your friends and um 
let us know if you liked it and what we could do better as well. And then if you want to join the conversation, uh, feel free to go to the future of gaming.wtf. Join us, come hang out and uh, come explore where this, uh, this whole space is, is moving towards. And with that, yeah, proud. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Ciao.